and I don't mind that, that people get upset. Some of this criticism like, is helpful. Like I get educated by it. I don't necessarily agree with all of it. Hello fellow humans, Chris here again. So today I'm going to broach the subject that I have largely stayed quiet on until now. Dave Chappelle, the LGBTQ community, and the so-called dreaded cancel culture. Before we get into the weeds in this topic, I just want to disclose some things for full transparency. First, I was raised on George Carlin, Richard Pryor, Robin Williams, Bill Hicks, pre-2000 Dennis Miller, and yes, Dave Chappelle. While certainly not a stand-up by any stretch of the imagination, uh, okay, I may have attempted some stand-up in another life of which there may be video evidence out there, um, I do consider a lot of my phil uh, philosophy, values, and logical reasoning as based at least partly on the routines of these and other well-known comedians. Second, I am and have always been a proponent of self-expression. And when it comes to art, I've largely been of the mind that what's said on stage stays on stage. Meaning, a comedian or a performance artist putting on an act is just that, an act. We don't put too much stock in a stand-up comedian when they're simply doing their onstage persona. I myself have done my fair share of onstage performances, and some of those performances were certainly of the less-than-conventional style, and not necessarily ones that you would write home to your mother about. Most likely, you're already aware of the quarrel that's come up over the last few years regarding Dave Chappelle's act as it pertains to the LGBTQ community. What I'd like to do today is discuss some of the issues at play here to include freedom of speech, cancel culture, and what responsibilities, if any, people have with a very large platform. So to me, this discussion centers around three questions. Number one, does what is said on stage stay on stage? Are comedians given immunity to speak on any and every issue of their choosing, and does this necessarily reflect their true feelings? Oftentimes, we hear comedians telling exaggerated stories for the sake of comedy. Many times, their stories may not be true at all. So does this set a precedent that nothing a stand-up says should be taken seriously? Number two, does having a large platform with a large audience give you a greater responsibility to hold yourself accountable for your words? Is it fair to hold someone like Dave Chappelle to a higher standard than, say, an open mic comedian? And number three, are certain topics off-limits? Should marginalized groups of people simply be left off the table of a comedian's scrutiny? Now, as I said, I haven't personally developed a fully formed opinion on this matter yet. There's a lot of nuance to it. But when it comes to the first question, does what is said on stage stay on stage? I would say that with the advent of social media and cell phone cameras over the last 20 years, that no, what you say on stage doesn't necessarily stay on stage, especially if you are a well-known personality and especially if what you say happens to be particularly memorable or offensive. Having said that, as a frequent consumer of stand-up comedy myself, I have always believed that a comedian's act is more than anything just an act. Having grown up involved in theater and performance art and being somewhat a student of the stage, I've always felt strongly that there should be a certain disconnect that we as consumers have over some of the more socially questionable things a stand-up comic or any performance artist might say while on stage. But in today's age of social media, 
the things a comedian says on stage can now be quickly digested by a massive audience that extends far beyond the size of the audience at the comedian's show. I've seen bits by George Carlin and Louis C.K. that, out of context, seem like pretty extreme, offensive, and outrageous statements. But if you observe them in their full show, from beginning to end, the audience is typically right along there with them. Louis C.K. in particular has a unique talent of stringing his audience along, gradually turning up the heat, and then, amidst an already laughing crowd, hitting them with another level of offense and crudeness that his audience is at the mercy of already having bought into the story to where, as he would say, you're in this with me now. When you take a comic's words on stage and share bits and pieces of a show out of context to the world, it's easy for those words to be taken in a much different way than they were taken in the theater. The crowd at a show bought their tickets to see someone they already knew. They're already aware of the act and they know what to expect. Jokes subject to the court of public opinion don't have this impunity. So this brings us into the second question. Does having a large platform give someone a greater responsibility over their own words? Is it fair to judge a Dave Chappelle more harshly because he has such a significant reach? I have touched on this topic myself in my interview with Andy Norman. Please check out that video to delve more deeply into that topic. But suffice it to say that, in my opinion, we should always be aware of how our words could affect other people and just by the rules of the numbers game, if you have a larger audience, then you have a greater risk at saying something that somebody is going to find questionable or offensive. Having said that, that doesn't necessarily mean the person talking loses the right to say what they want to say. One concept that has come up more frequently since the Dave Chappelle controversy is the idea of punching down. Before I get further into this topic, I'd like to show a brief clip from Andrew Dice Clay and then followed up with an interview George Carlin did about Andrew Dice Clay and on the idea of punching down, or as he put it, going after the underdog. I don't see too many faggots in Philly, you know? Out in LA, Manhattan, you got them all over the place. Brooklyn, we don't have any gay people. They're all dead. <laughs> all we got is a big sign that says, welcome to Brooklyn, fourth largest city in America with this dead fag hanging off the pole. They're not from this planet, let's face it. They're not from this planet, they're from Fagatron, come on. And they're always on parade. They march up and down the street with t-shirts and flags. I want money for AIDS disease, beautiful. I want money for a new fucking car. I ain't marching up and down the street. Get a job, butt slammer. And they're too sensitive. They don't know if they want to be called gays, homosexuals, fairies. I call them cocksuckers. I think it spells it out. I would defend to the death his right to do everything he does. The thing that I, that I find unusual, and it's, you know, it's not a criticism so much, but his targets are underdogs. And comedy traditionally has picked on people in power, people who abuse their power. Uh, women and gays and immigrants are kind of, to my way of thinking, underdogs. And, um, you know, he ought to be careful because he's Jewish. And a lot of the people who want to pick on these kind of groups, the Jews are on that list a little further. You got women, gays, gypsies, blah, 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 blah. And then suddenly you find Jews. And, and Andrew, suddenly Andrew's arrested. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I mean, he, obviously, he should do what he wants. And uh, why does he get away with it, do you think, then? Well, because we have never laughed at jokes about the Well, poor. he's appealing. I think he's appealing largely. I think his core audience are young white males who are threatened by these groups. I think a lot of these guys aren't sure they're manhood because that's a problem when you're going in through adolescence. 
you know, am I really, am I, could I be, I hope I'm not, one of them. And the women who assert themselves and are competent are a threat to these men, and so are immigrants in terms of jobs and, and, uh, and, and the so that's program. why we as an audience then will laugh. I, you say we, I don't think you're I mean, either, I don't know. but I, I mean think the you're collective that, we. I think that's what, what is at the core of that experience that takes place in these arenas, is a certain, uh, a, you know, a, a sharing of, of uh, anger and rage and, at, at, these, at these. So this brings us to question three. Are certain topics off limits? Should marginalized groups of people simply be left off the table of comedian scrutiny? Now, I think Carlin makes some good points in his interview, going after the, quote, little guy, the underdog, instead of going after corporations, billionaires, or other groups of people that have more power than you instead of less, kind of does seem like bullying, especially if that group doesn't laugh along with the jokes. Of course, not everyone in the LGBTQ community is offended by Chappelle's jokes. In fact, there are many videos out there of LGBTQ comedians and other personalities supporting Chappelle. But just because some in the community are supportive of his words doesn't mean those words don't have the power to hurt others in that same community. But I want to go back to what Carlin was saying, you know, about going after the underdog. This interview, based on how he looks age-wise, I would estimate takes place in the early 90s. Let's take a look at a couple quick clips of Carlin from around that same time period. And keep in mind what he said about going after the underdogs. But what's the alternative? What's the alternative to pumping out a unit every nine months? Pointless careerism? Pointless careerism? Putting on a man-tailored suit with shoulder pads and imitating all the worst behavior of men? This is the noblest thing that women can think of? To take a job in a criminal corporation that's poisoning the environment and robbing customers out of their money? This is the worthiest thing they can think of? Isn't there something nobler they could do to be helping this planet heal? You don't hear much about that from these middle-class women. I've noticed that most of these feminists are white middle-class women. They don't give a shit about black women's problems. They don't care about Latino women. All they're interested in is their own reproductive freedom and their pocketbooks and I like to piss off any group that takes itself a little bit too seriously and it does not take a lot of imagination to piss off a feminist all you got to do is run into now headquarters or Ms. magazine and say hey which one of you cute little cupcakes wants to come home and cook me a nice meal and give me a blowjob blowjob Oh, that pisses him off. You want to piss off a feminist? Call her a cum catcher. That'll get her attention. Now I probably got some other group pissed off at me because I said fruit. There's a different group to get pissed off at you in this country for everything you're not supposed to say. Can't say fruit, can't say faggot, can't say queer, can't say Nancy boy, can't say pansy. Can't say nigger, boogie, jig, jigaboo, skinhead, jungle bunny, mooly, moulinyan, or schwatzer. Can't say yid, heeb, zeeb, kike, maki, uh, dago, guinea, wop, ginzo, greaser, greaseball, spick, beaner, oye, tiger, pr, mick, donkey, turkey, limey, frog, squarehead, kraut, jerry, hun, chink, jap, nip, slope, slopehead, zip, zipperhead, gook, 
There is absolutely nothing wrong. There is absolutely nothing wrong with any of those words in and of themselves. They're only words. It's the context that counts. It's the user. It's the intention behind the words that makes them good or bad. The words are completely neutral. You take the word nigger. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the word nigger in and of itself. It's the racist asshole who's using it that you ought to be concerned about. We don't care when Richard Pryor or Eddie Murphy say it. Why? Because we know they're not racist. They're niggers. <laughs> Context. Context. We don't mind their context because we know they're black. Hey, I know I'm Whitey the Blue-Eyed Devil, Patty Ofe, Gray Boy, Honky Motherfucker myself. Don't bother my ass. They're only words. You can't be afraid of words that speak the truth. We have no more stupid people. Everybody has a learning disorder. Or he's minimally exceptional. How would you like to be told that about your child? He's minimally exceptional. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> I would say it appears to me that Carlin is in fact going after some of the underdogs in these clips. Clearly, I wouldn't say what he said was at the level of vitriol that Andrew Dice Clay was at, but I do think I would qualify it as punching down, particularly as a white male talking about feminists and homosexuals and blacks, although to be fair this was to a lesser degree since he was referring to other comedians. The point, though, is that he is a man of a certain privilege, speaking about people with less power than he. Now, as I already disclosed, I was always a Carlin fan, but to a large extent, he made a career out of talking about people with less power than he had. To be fair, he went after entities with greater power a lot more. One thing that should be acknowledged here is the world we live in today, culturally, is much different than the world of 30 years ago. So we have to keep that in mind when we compare different eras. But comedy is an evolution, and like with any sport or profession, artists and athletes look to the greats of the past for inspiration. And I bring up some of these examples, such as Carlin and Clay, specifically because of their demographics. When you listen to Chappelle explaining some of his perspective on these issues, he does make some good points. Are you surprised, though, by the, by the criticism that's, that's come your way? No. And I don't mind that, that people get upset. Some of this criticism, like, it is helpful. Like, I get educated by it. I don't necessarily agree with all of it. Mm -hmm. But I learn about a lot of things, you know, just from my critics. Bad things happen to someone else. That's not, that's not necessarily funny. Look at it this way. I grew up in the crack epidemic. I yeah. tell jokes about it. I grew yeah. up in the crack epidemic, and now there's an opioid epidemic. Mm -hmm. Are they treating the opioid epidemic the way that they treated the crack epidemic? Yeah. No, this is a national health emergency. When we were coming up, we were policed by the National Guard, addicts were criminals. Now they understand addicts are sick people. And maybe it's because the demographic of the opioid epidemic is not the same demographic of the crack epidemic. Racially. I mean, right. You're talking about race. Right. So now that your community is getting destroyed, is a whole nother ball game. And then you have, it's a huge window of empathy. Oh my God, we can see each other. We both went through similar pain. But I'm just saying everything's funny to him is more about, is more about empathy. 
that you there but for the grace of God. I support Chappelle's right to self-expression, and I do think he makes some valid points about his personal experiences with racism and America's history of not giving a bleep about anyone's feelings. But I also think those in the LGBTQ community absolutely have the right to be offended and even hurt by the sentiment. Clearly, they are a marginalized group, perhaps the most marginalized in the country at this moment. And by and large, some of the things Chappelle says does seem to ebb more on the bullying side of that spectrum we talked about earlier, and less on the laughing with you side. It's too hard to entertain a country whose ears are so brittle. Motherfuckers are so sensitive, the whole country is turned into bitch-ass niggas. Everything you say upsets somebody. I am not saying that to say that trans women aren't women. I am just saying that those pussies that they got, you know what I mean? I'm not saying it's not pussy, but that's like beyond pussy or impossible pussy. You know what I mean? Tastes like pussy, but that's not quite what it is, is it? It's not blood, that's beet juice. But you guys gotta remember, I'm not saying it to be mean. I'm saying it because it's funny. And everything's funny till it happens to you. And for a demographic that experiences a four times likelihood of physical violence than non-LGBTQs, according to the UCLA's Williams Institute School of Law, and for LGBT youth, nearly half experiencing serious suicidal ideations, additional bullying from a prominent figure would understandably not be appreciated by the community at large. Ultimately, there's nuance to this topic, and I think both Dave Chappelle and the LGBTQ community make fair points. I don't think Chappelle has any personal vitriol or malignant feelings towards the LGBTQ community, as he has said himself, but I do think he holds responsibility for his words. And as we know, a person's intentions don't necessarily matter all that much if their actions have real-world consequences. I think the so-called cancel culture is simply the population governing itself. Everyone has the right to self-expression, and everyone else has the right to reject or accept that sentiment. So Dave Chappelle has the right to express his views as he sees fit, and the LGBTQ community absolutely has the right to have an opinion about that and express it. It goes both ways. As I have said, I don't have a fully formed opinion as to which side is more right, but I think Dave Chappelle, and anyone that has a large platform and following, needs to come to terms with and accept the fact that they hold responsibility for their words. And if they alienate large groups of people, whether intentionally or not, those people are within their rights to respond with their own words. That doesn't mean he's being canceled. He makes a career of expressing himself through spoken word. He can't expect that no one else will express themselves as well. But if you don't like what he has to say, please remember, there's a lot more out there to consume.